It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. This year, through their announcements, fundraising efforts, and debates, we've watched as White House hopefuls made their case to voters in the 2024 presidential election. But not everyone has been able to withstand the competition, and many suspended their campaigns almost as quickly as they entered the race. Now, as we head into 2024, things are heating up as candidates crisscross the country, engage with each other more, campaign in early voting states, and fight for a spot on the ballot for next November. So joining me today to provide insight into the strategies of each of the campaigns is Fox News digital politics reporter, Brooke Singman. Brooke, welcome to Perino on Politics. Thanks for having me, Dana. I'm so excited. So we are doing this, we're recording this the week before Christmas, and this is going to run Christmas week so that people can get a sense of maybe not what's happening right now today on December 19th, is it? As we start to turn the corner into 2024, Who's left? What do we know? What are the campaigns saying? And you did a lot of research for all of us that we didn't have to do for ourselves. (laughs) You actually talked to the campaigns. Can we start with the incumbent, which is Joe Biden? Absolutely. Because he has not had a great December. He hasn't, but they don't say that he hasn't had a great December. They think he's doing great. They think the Biden administration is, is successful. He's delivering on all of his promises. But what the Biden campaign really wants to do now is take the time while Republicans are having all of their infighting and and going at it against each other. They plan to take this time to kind of solidify their ground game in all of these battleground states across the nation before the general. That's so interesting, though, because so this week, two things happened. One, you had prominent Democrats, including, I don't know if I'd call him prominent, but somebody I follow to see what Democrats are thinking, Simon Rosenberg. And he sounded an alarm and said, please, Biden campaign, Get your ground game in order, especially in the swing states. Right. He hasn't seen a lot of activity. That's one thing that happened. Number When they usually don't talk about each other that way. Right. But there, it must be so bad that he's willing to say something. <laughs> exactly. Then the second thing that happened is you started to see anonymous but clearly deliberate leaks that the Biden White House itself, including the president and Mrs. Biden, are concerned about of his course. poll numbers. And that, that's sort of a crack in the wall. And I thought of two things. Either... There's a crack in the wall because somebody on the inside is saying, oh, my gosh, they don't get it. Or it was a purposeful leak to signal to donors and to the party's faithful, don't worry, we'll we get, get it together. It. Exactly. I don't I, know. I, and I saw that report also where it said the president himself said, "What? what's going on? Look at these mm-hmm. polls. Look at these reports. What's happening? And how, we need to turn this around now. When speaking to the campaign yesterday, they seem confident. Of course, they're incumbents. But what they're trying to do right now is, A, Take the time instead of focusing really on these attacks of individual candidates, because I asked them, who are you most concerned about? They want Donald Trump to be the nominee. That's been what, obvious for a uh, long time. Of right? course. And what that because they want to see a repeat of 2020. But when pressing them, I'm like, which is the candidate that you are most concerned about? And obviously from from the campaign uh, officials who won't go on on the record, and of course, people just surrounding the Biden orbit. It's Nikki Haley. That's really, who they're they watching. say that they they do say that that's somebody. Well, I mean, that they the don't want to go. Show, if you believe in polls, and a lot of people don't, I know, but uh, the polls show that right now Biden would beat Trump, but he's only up like two, three, four points, right. and of course, margin of error could be the other way. Mm-hmm. 
Nikki Haley in some of the polls is up 17 points. Exactly. And and I mean, that's something the Nikki Haley campaign is very excited to see themselves. But of course, that's she has to get through the primaries. But as for the Biden campaign, what they are focusing on is taking the time and then also going and painting the entire Republican field as extreme. They want Donald Trump to be their their opponent, of course, so they can kind of run on the same thing that they did uh, back in 2020. But what they are hoping to do is just cast every single candidate in the Republican field as a MAGA extremist. I don't know that that really applies to any of them, but that's what Mm -hmm. their goal is. I also spoke with the DNC yesterday. They are fully behind the president, obviously. You know, he had that. Until they're that, not. Exactly, yes. <laughs> exactly. They're they're behind him because they had that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And, opponent, but yes. now he's an independent. So they're behind him and they're saying the same thing. We have this time to really invest. Also, something the Biden campaign is really touting at this point are their grassroots uh, donations, those small dollar donations. They say well, this they're last down, quarter. but they're better than the Republicans' exactly. small dollar donations. Right? Exactly. And also the, because there's so many different candidates on the Republican side, plus you have President Trump's PACs, especially the legal defense fund, mm-hmm. right? They are sucking up a lot of small dollars. Definitely. But the DNC overall, how is their fundraising compared to the RNC? I th- I don't have the exact numbers, mm-hmm. so I can't I think confidently it's a little say, but I think point. I do too. And just from speaking to them, I mean, they're mm-hmm. really pleased. Of course, they have their big dollar donors. They We just saw President Biden in Hollywood at Steven Spielberg's house mm-hmm. just two weeks ago having these huge fundraisers, star-studded events. But they're really pleased with the fact that these small dollar donations are coming in right. just as as frequently mm-hmm. as, as the big dollar donations. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know what they are thinking over there. But it's interesting that they will say uh, behind the scenes that they're concerned about Haley. They don't mention DeSantis, not worried about him? No. They, wow. I've never, I have not heard that once from anybody mm-hmm. around that circle. And I think it's because Nikki Haley is a woman. She's a woman of color. She has executive experience. She's a mother. And yes, the issue that the Democrats point to every time they try to cast the Republican Party as extremists, it's not the economy. It's not immigration. It is abortion. And so even though Nikki Haley is pro-life very, very firmly, she does have a way of of hitting that message that appeals to people that are pro-choice or or young women because she is a woman. And mm-hmm. she does have a way of of approaching the issue that kind of feels a little more inclusive for people that feel mm. alienated on the issue by Republicans. So you talked to her campaign as well. Tell me yes. about that. So they feel great. What the, they're looking at Iowa. They feel like Iowa is is their game. They also, but the numbers aren't really there for her in Iowa. They're they? not. They're not. But mm-hmm. she's really going for Iowa. But she also is really confident in New Hampshire. Obviously, she got that Governor Sununu endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, she's feeling good there. And just as back to what I said about her being a woman and a woman of color and a mother and whatnot. Apparently, she does not like labels. So all of these things that she has going for her that maybe the Democrats are worried about, Nikki Haley doesn't want to label herself as anything. But I think that's partly her appeal to younger women or women in general. I remember I did an interview of her years ago before I thought she was, I didn't think she was running for president at the time, but she wrote a book called With All Due Respect. Mm -hmm. And it was after she left the Trump administration as ambassador to the UN. And I remember I interviewed her at the 92nd Y on the Upper East Side of New York, and I was shocked at how many young women were there and enthusiastically backing her. Like, the room was sold out, long line to get her book signed. It was pretty amazing. She she really, she is amazing. I mean, Mm. to to speak with her just, I mean, I've interviewed her a few times, and it's true, I I am a 31-year-old woman, and Mm. to speak with her and have her just hit on issues that, of course, young voters care about, young women voters, and she does appeal also to other 
factions mm -hmm. of, of voters. Of course, she was the UN ambassador. She was the governor of South Carolina. She is a military wife, a mother. She's she is mm -hmm. um she has quite quite the resume. So mm -hmm. she's I think it's it's really interesting watching her up there on the debate stages. Of course, you you watched Ben yeah. asked firsthand right there. Yeah. So um, she her uh, her point is I've never lost a race. Right. The Trump campaign is so far ahead in these polls. So let's go to the Trump campaign now, if you don't mind, and then we'll yeah, hit the others in the next course, segment. Of course. So they, you know what, I have to look at my notes for this one because mm -hmm. I am not a sports person. But okay. apparently the former president says he's not interested in prevent defense, okay. which means, I'll try to break <laughs> it down I know for what everyone. That means. Basically, yes, he is leading like by 50 points in every single poll, in every battleground state, in mm -hmm. every primary state, and in, in the general. But... They're running this campaign as if it's theirs to lose. Like they they really do not want to get too ahead of themselves with anything because, of course, like you said, people believe in polls, people don't. They are down in those states yeah. doing everything they can. So. I remember hearing about how surprised he was that he lost Iowa in tw in 2016, right. lost to Ted Cruz. And he apparently was determined that that is not going to happen no. again. That's they. They don't want to lose anything. They, mm -hmm. they of course, are are confident based on the numbers that they're seeing. Of course, you hear from him constantly about these great poll numbers. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that they're slacking in any way. They will be in Iowa every day, um, I guess, after Christmas. I noticed um, that he also is bringing along a lot of new voters, people who did not vote in 2020. Apparently, if you poll them, he has been able to say that they're in my corner, which is interesting. I wonder what the pitch has been to them. I, I think a lot of it, too. I know we've talked about this before. It's a lot of young voters, too, um, for for Trump. I think it's the young voters. But then I also think these new voters that maybe have been disenchanted by politics forever. And then they see this former president of the United States, you know, a little rough around the edges. Maybe people didn't like him while he was president. But to see, of course, what he's going through in the legal system, he's been indicted in four jurisdictions at this point. He's in court fighting for his businesses. Maybe people just don't think it's fair and they want to support him. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he's it's, done a lot of policy videos, too, that haven't got as much media attention. But there's a lot actually there's a lot of meat on the bone absolutely and, and it's new things. it's new right. it's it's built off of their record and mm -hmm. the trump administration but it is new um uh, with regard to immigration and and national security as well because what he's always done especially with national security is says look at the the world under the trump administration and look at it under the biden administration we project weakness now we didn't then uh people did not attack you know russian President Vladimir Putin didn't go for Ukraine during the mm -hmm. Trump administration. He did go for Crimea under Obama, so similar foreign policy. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, these are things that he's pointing to. And the age thing does not really apply to Trump as it does to Biden. I, and I think that's they just tried. like perceived. Like, like the Biden people are like, well, if you just do the math, they're only four years apart. But if you look at them in terms of mannerisms and capabilities and ability to get out there on the stump, and give a long speech and persuade and crack a joke that people can enjoy, Biden does not have that. So no. the age thing hasn't worked. It hasn't. And I think so, people tried to make that age point in some articles in the last few weeks, but it, it's just not accurate. I mean, mm -hmm. in speaking with him multiple times in the last few weeks, it's just, it's not there. But he's fighting for every vote. And also, I mean, he, like I mentioned, he's been indicted in these four ju jurisdictions. These trials will fall in the middle of this critical primary calendar. So we're waiting now. On I just this. think it helps him. I do too. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I say it, said to Jessica Tarlov on the five the other day that 
every time a Democrat says 91 counts, it's like his poll numbers go up by a, a tenth of a point exactly. each time they say that. And they can't understand why a Republican would ignore that issue. Mm-hmm. And I think partly it's because inflation, border, feeling insecure in a foreign policy standpoint, right. that they are just weighing the issues, like what matters most to them. And they think that he has been unfairly targeted. Exactly. We'll see what the courts decide in terms of the jury trials, but that might be a reason. Exactly. And I think that does attract those voters that maybe weren't involved before. But yes, we have uh, Super Tuesday is March 5th. That's a, a big, a big day and a lot That's of, March. a lot of, um, and, uh, and then actually one of the trial dates is supposed, supposed to be the 4th. supposed to be March 4th, <laughs> but right now there's something pending before the Supreme yeah. Court, which who knows if they set precedent and they say, you know what, you can't prosecute this man right now during the election cycle. That's precedent set by the right. Supreme Court that may apply to the rest of the trials. So every trial actually kind of falls in a critical time. I mean, Fannie Willis down in Fulton County, Georgia, yeah. wants to bring the trial in her alleged election interference case just two weeks after the Republican uh, National Convention. So these things are scattered throughout. It adds a layer of complications for him. I mean, he's been sitting in court right. downtown Manhattan for the last three months defending his family's businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, that's a totally different, not criminal, just non-jury civil trial. But none of the other Republican candidates are sitting in a courtroom no. right now having to defend themselves. Well, and they might so. say, and for good reason, we did right. nothing wrong. Exactly. But they actually, but they don't criticize him either. So Exactly. Okay, so we're going to talk about the other candidates yes, in the next segment. That. We'll have more Perino on politics coming up. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And we are back with Perino on politics. Okay, Brooke, let's talk about DeSantis, Ramaswamy, and Christie, starting with DeSantis. So DeSantis has claimed Iowa. He wants Iowa. He is convinced that Iowa is his race. And they are really confident in their ground game there. I mean, they said that they have more than 30,000 people committed to caucusing. And what the campaign wow, told me lot, yesterday, right? exactly, because what the campaign told me yesterday was if you looked at the number of votes back in 2016 that Ted Cruz actually was able to get, that's he won Iowa with 51,000 votes ahead. So if they have 30,000 already committed before um, weeks out. And did the Trump people give you their number? No. Okay. No, I don't have the numbers there, but clearly the DeSantis mm-hmm. campaign is very proud of this. They obviously have the Kim mm-hmm. Reynolds endorsement. Um, they're feeling good. They are doing seven or eight events a day in Iowa up until the caucus. And he's done what I learned, a fun term, um, the full Grassley, yes. which is, <laughs> I didn't know that, but yes. I like Senator, Senator Grassley. Grassley. Yes. yes, so visiting all 99 counties <laughs> in, in Iowa doing these events. Um, but Ron DeSantis's campaign is is they're feeling great. They think they're about Iowa, about Iowa. They didn't say as much about New Hampshire, but they they do have ground game in New Hampshire. They say that they have a lot of endorsements from local legislators in New Hampshire, 65, they say, which they believe is pretty strong, especially heading into the holiday, being able to go these legislators and Mm -hmm. convince their constituents that they really need to participate in the New Mm -hmm. Hampshire primary. Now, something I learned also today was that you can be an independent voter mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, and that's yep. actually something that Chris Christie's campaign is really hanging their hats on, is that mm-hmm. independent voters can vote in this Republican primary in New Hampshire, and that's where they think they can be mm-hmm. strongest. But as for Ron DeSantis, he, they feel great in Iowa. It's interesting that they do. I, I, I'm sure that all of these campaigns are going to tell you that uh, like they have a path and exactly. it can work, et cetera. But he, Ron DeSantis, has not had a good 
week of media either going into the holiday. I mean, he has had turmoil in the Never Back Down pack. Mm -hmm. He has not, I don't think, really caught fire, right, right, throughout the country. He's not, and I think maybe one of the things that happened was when President Trump decided early on to go after him mm -hmm. directly, relentlessly for a long time. That was bad. And I remember the day that several of the Republican congressmen from Florida mm -hmm. came out en masse and just said that they were going to endorse Trump over, over DeSantis. DeSantis. I remember thinking, wow, okay, that is interesting that right. they did that that early. Do you remember in 2018 when he was running for governor, Ron DeSantis in Florida, the video? Of course. So the, the, you mean the, the commercial? The commercial, I'm sorry. The commercial. Reading his, reading his child. A book about making America great and sitting yeah. on the floor with blocks yes, saying, build the wall. Right. And so I think for voters that initially were excited by DeSantis, I think he had a lot of energy earlier this year before he announced. That yes, was, and also that he was had a huge. record of incredible competence Exactly. In Florida. And people viewed him as a really incredible alternative to Trump. He was going to be able to deliver on those policies that they so craved and, mm -hmm. and missed from the Trump administration. But it wasn't Trump. It was mm -hmm. it was someone younger, someone fresher, somebody who maybe didn't have as much kind of chaos following them. Um, but it's true. I don't I mean, not exactly sure what happened in, in mm -hmm. the last few weeks. But we'll see what happens in Iowa. I mean, exactly. sometimes Iowa surprises. And then you'll have New Hampshire right. and South Carolina. Now, President Trump believes that he'll be able to wrap up the nomination in the delegate fight by March 19th. Right. And exactly. And based on the polls, which, again, we can't yep, rely we can't. all on the polls. We, we can't. Indeed, there is there's a possible race here. So, well, we'll see what happens on the Ron DeSantis front. One thing he points out is that if he were to drop out, his voters don't go to Nikki Haley. Right. They go to Donald Trump. Exactly. So he's reluctant to even entertain the idea of dropping out. Even speaking to his his people, you know, months ago, they're like, well, we're running for second place here. And everybody kind of has that sentiment of second place unless something Do you think there comes. would ever be a Trump-DeSantis ticket? I don't know. I mean, it really depends on, I personally think Trump could come around to him if he were to offer his services in such a way to be his vice president. I I wonder, has Ron DeSantis attacked Trump too much mm -hmm. in the primary? And vice versa. And, and vice versa. But really, for him to be able to go and, and say, okay, I was joking about everything yeah, I said sorry. before. But you know what you have <laughs> to remember is, what about Kamala Harris basically calling yeah. Joe Biden a racist right. in that first debate in 2019? Right. So it's, I mean, yep, you never yep. know. Water flows under the bridge quite exactly. well when you're looking for a vice president. Exactly. All right, so what about Vivek Ramaswamy in Iowa and New Hampshire? So, of course... He, if Trump was not in this race, he would be that America first kind of libertarian Even more than DeSantis. candidate. That's how they feel okay. about him. And it's up mm -hmm. to the voters and the listeners to decide. But right. Vivek is, they feel confident in Iowa because what they say is the majority of people that are coming to their events are people that are unregistered voters at this mm -hmm. point. So what they say the RNC this year changed the rule. You can same day register for these Iowa caucuses and they are really seizing on that. They feel like they've drawn in enough support. They don't feel like the polls are capturing anything about their ground game. That's kind of a message that we're hearing from all of the campaigns. No one's performing nearly as well as Trump. So, of course, the polls can't tell the right story. Mm -hmm. But they were feeling great about Iowa um, and specifically because of this this fact that... Isn't he doing the full Grassley twice? Twice, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's where I first learned about the term. Um, so he is 
proud of their get out the vote effort in Iowa, and they feel like they're able to draw in young voters. That's because Vivek is 38 years old. Mm -hmm. And maybe if he doesn't have a path this time around, I mean, we might see him again. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they feel good. But like you said, they all are telling me that they feel feel good. good. Everyone's feeling great. What about Chris Christie? So Chris Christie knows he's losing Iowa. I just Mm -hmm. hung up. He didn't even go there, right? No, I mean, they Mm -hmm. I mean, they actually no, they're actually headed to New Hampshire today. So no, they're not going to Iowa as much. They'll be there. Mm -hmm. But he knows he's losing. He's run for president already, 2016. He is fully aware of that situation. I remember hearing from them that they, it, that they knew they would lose Iowa, so why spend a bunch of money and resources there? So it's, they put they made a New Hampshire-South Carolina play. Exactly. Um, and they're actually really focused on New Hampshire and Michigan now, oh, Michigan. apparently. Okay. And Michigan is one of those states also with the independents can vote in the Republican primary. And so what they're okay. saying is, the Christie campaign is saying, they're relying on those votes because, of course, New Hampshire primary is like the Super Bowl for New Hampshire voters, and they only have one this time around, really, mm-hmm. to to get their voices heard. So they feel like they can attract those independent voters. They feel like things are going well for them in New Hampshire. They were disappointed by the Sununu uh, endorsement for Nikki Haley. Of course, they, they've acknowledged, he's uh, Governor Christie's acknowledged that he's disappointed by it, but doesn't matter to him. They mm-hmm. they feel like they are in solid standing. They plan to at least go through Michigan. They do. They criticized Governor Sununu for endorsing Nikki Haley, not because they wanted the endorsement themselves, but they're saying, you know, Nikki Haley doesn't come out strong enough against Trump. And so Sununu does all the time. And so how can can mm-hmm. he endorse her? But Christie thinks that they have momentum in, in what New does, What do the Christie people say when they've been asked to consider pulling out of the race so that the potential Christie voters would go to Haley so that there would be a more of a one-on-one against Trump. I don't think they're there yet. They okay. just are not there yet. They want to see. And he said, uh, he, the person I spoke to <laughs> on the campaign, uh, told me that because Governor Christie's done this before, he doesn't have an exact moment when he knows he's going to drop out if he doesn't win these mm-hmm. early critical states. But he will know when that moment is. He's not going to run this whole way through if there's no path. He, it's exhausting for anyone, but he's done this again. Yeah, like well, I always before. think about anybody who's willing to put themselves out there. Yeah. One, two things. President Bush used to say, you have to be a little nuts in a way <laughs> to run for president <laughs> yes. and, and, and a little bit self-confident. Right. If you believe that you are the best person out of 365 million people, that you are the one. Leader of the the free world. Right. (laughs) There's a little bit of that. But also, if you're going to do this, you really do give away your free time, your privacy, your family goes through Mm -hmm. it. It is not for the faint of heart. Right. I will say about this campaign cycle, because this will be my third covering, that it's not so much oppo out there. Not a lot of opposition research pitches coming around about each candidate because, of course... Oh, you used to get those a lot? All the time from all different campaigns coming Mm -hmm. with some some information. Was that because there were so many different candidates in 2016? I think so, but I also think the main man that you want to you know, attack right now is the front runner, no matter who it is. And, and everybody Trump, knows everything about him. Uh, yeah, exactly. There's nothing to, there's nothing new to bring up. I mean, right. he's been indicted four times. So well, we've gone what, through what the candidates that we know about, but I didn't ask you about, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, the third party candidates. I actually have something to okay. say about that. So Great. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is independent. He was running as a Democrat as his family legacy 
calls for. But of course, when not getting any support from the DNC, he said, fine, I'm still doing this, but I will be an independent. Interestingly enough, it will be his 70th birthday coming up in January. And he, on, I guess it's a few days after the Iowa caucuses and the day before the New Hampshire primary, he is having a major fundraising event in California. Like so a big party? A big birthday party. He's not throwing it for himself, but a mm-hmm. pack supporting him is throwing it for him. Probably going to be some kind of star-studded event. Huh. I've heard Andrea Bocelli may be singing wow. happy birthday in some way. Um, so this, wow. is, this is And in some of these states, RFK Jr. could really pull from Biden and maybe from Trump a little Absolutely. bit. But Biden, I think they definitely realize that there are some Democrats who think the Democratic Party doesn't represent me anymore. Exactly. You've gone too far left in coddling mm-hmm. the progressives and they're looking for someone else. And maybe if they're disenchanted with the Biden campaign... They don't care if it spoils him. Right. They don't. And and so he, he will celebrate on the eve of the New Hampshire primary. I don't know. I had heard maybe he could make some kind of announcement. It will be interesting to see who he chooses. How many ballots as, is he on? Oh, I don't have that answer. That is a good question. We should look that up. I'll bring lo- it to you next we time. We are going to look it up. Indeed. <laughs> exactly. All right. We'll be right back with more Perino on politics. All right. For our last segment, Brooke, what I wanted to do is ask you to help me understand something that I don't think I'm missing the importance of the youth vote, but... I do want to understand from somebody younger than me, dare I say, a few (laughs) years, about the importance of it. And this is a big generation coming up. And youth voters are not always the most reliable voters. However, they are more organized than ever because they know how to organize on social media. Let me give everyone an example. I remember during the special election for the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin in April of 2023, There was a big fight, most expensive state Supreme Court election in history. Mm -hmm. And there was a progressive woman on the ballot, as well as a very conservative sort of MAGA Trump guy on the ballot. Can't remember either of their names. And the Democrat wins. Okay, abortion was a major issue at the time. Mm -hmm. Bill Hemmer, who runs the billboard, he loves to look at the numbers. And I asked him, what was the turnout for this special election in the middle of the week? In April of 2023 for a state Supreme Court. It was higher than you think. And you know where it was? I think in Madison County, where, where Madison, the, where the college is, mm-hmm. University of Wisconsin in Madison. It was something like 88% turnout. Wow. wow. On the campus in particular, mm-hmm. they turned out and they really helped propel the progressive to a win. So I'm paying attention to this. I know the Democrats are paying attention as the as the youth vote starts to pull away, mm-hmm. maybe because of Gaza or housing costs mm-hmm. or can't buy a car or they're Hispanics and black youth saying, wait, you don't represent me. You're not right. either. You're not doing enough in terms of judicial reform that I want or. I don't really fit in here with the progressive left. So what's going on with the youth vote? I mean, you're right. It's a very critical voting block. And it sometimes feels like they're forgotten. And they shouldn't be. Because I do think that in this this race especially, they're very, very important. And there are a lot of young Republican voters that are going to, to rally behind Trump. Um, there are a lot of young Democrat voters that will do anything to prevent Trump from getting back into the White House. Even if it's Biden? Exactly. Even if it's it, it just to ensure that somebody who they are getting messaging from people that they follow on social media. Mm-hmm. This is the social media generation, right? So if you follow your favorite celebrity on Instagram and they are uh, pro-choice and they are pro-Palestine, um, 
whether you are fully educated on these issues or not, these are people you trust, that you're following every day, their every move on social media, and you now start to to trust them. I've seen that with friends and, you know, ha- trying to have these these political conversations with them. They don't want to so much engage in that. It's just a matter of of public perception, of course. Wow. So it's not about policy. No, it's never huh. really about policy. Okay. The only thing that's really about policy is the abortion issue. And yeah. that's something on both sides of the aisle for young women and and young men as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting issue. I mean, the campaigns you see on both sides of the aisle trying to do more on social media, some are on TikTok, actually Sorry, Vivek is the only one on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody else is using their Instagrams, their mm-hmm. Facebooks, their mm-hmm. X, Trump's truth. Do you think social. that's a mistake for those campaigns to not be on TikTok? You know what? I don't have TikTok, so I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But everyone else seems to have TikTok. It's like 45%. It's like everyone has TikTok. Right. So I'm kind of not the person to ask that mm-hmm. question to because I've always, I covered the national security angle of it and I understand that part. But could it be a mistake? Yeah. I mean, I've spoken with executives at TikTok who are like, why are these people not using our platform? We are an American company. Yes, we have these donors. Yes, we are trying our best to separate the data, but this from China to avoid the Chinese national security laws and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But TikTok would be an amazing tool for mm-hmm. for these campaigns. I know all I go back them. and forth because I understand the national security argument, but I also think, you know, if you, my my PR advice has long been if you're not speaking, somebody else is doing it for exactly. you. Exactly. So Vivek is filling that on the youth for that are watching TikTok. So exactly, they might not they might not like Vivek necessarily, but they're they seeing see him, him on TikTok. Exactly. Right? And I don't I don't know. I thought I hope I live long enough to find out if it was a mistake. You will. <laughs> we'll find out. The other thing is that is happening is right now, as Sean Trend pointed out at Real Clear Politics, through 2028, Gen Z's presidential candidates will have been. Donald Trump three times, Hillary Clinton one time, and Biden twice. And so there's not somebody of a younger generation. They're all those are all baby boomers. Right. Right. I mean, Vivek is 38, so mm-hmm. he can appeal to those younger voters. But then as a younger voter, you think, well, he's a little young. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you? you know? <laughs> well, isn't, yeah, he no, only, you. isn't he only a few yeah. years older than me? Hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. But it, it depends. I mean, the RNC trying really hard to invest in this youth vote. And and I mean, they created this Youth Advisory Council. They're trying to get young voters, young Republicans into the party and tell them what they're doing wrong and how to attract more more young voters. So they are working on social media campaigns. Um, I did a story last week, I mentioned to you that actually a few of the Youth Advisory Board members actually resigned from that board saying that the party wasn't doing enough and there's no clear cut way to actually attract these voters. And they weren't they weren't doing enough. Um, so they left, which, as we discussed, why quit? Why, why quit? not why invest more time? But I think to partly that. is that there's the message. And I remember in the preparation for the debate talking about the fact that, you know, if you're a young person, you are, let's just say, well, let me define young in a way. Let me just say you're 38. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the, I consider that yeah. pretty young. You might be raising a young family. You might have put off raising a family because of cost mm-hmm. or COVID. Right. Maybe you haven't met somebody. Right now, it's very difficult for you to buy a house because there's no mm-hmm. inventory. Nobody's leaving the houses that they have. We don't exactly. have enough housing, and your interest rates are over 7%. Mm-hmm. Your car situation is difficult. Childcare, hard to find. Quality isn't that good. Right. And you have a situation where you might be commuting so far that you have to drive 40 minutes 
for the daycare to come back. And people are realizing that's not worth it. You realize the Social Security Administration is probably going to be bankrupt by the time you get there. And nobody in Washington is trying to solve any of the problems for them. At the same time, their parents are aging. Mm -hmm. So they're having to take care of their parents. So they feel so squeezed. Exactly. Like a panini. It's true. And they can't breathe. And so when you look at these numbers of people who are dissatisfied with the direction of the country, I understand why Gen X and above feels that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not younger than that, but I can certainly conceptualize how they must be disenchanted with everybody that's out there because no one's talking about those issues. It's exactly right. And and it's true. Nobody is talking about the 38-year-olds. It's always, mm-hmm. okay, how do we get the 18 to 22-year-olds? Like, I don't care what the 18 to 20-year-olds right. think. Yeah, who cares about that? I don't really them? care. They're still no. figuring it out. And like, exactly. wait till they're like 25. Exactly. But it's true. I mean, you do see these, and I've noticed just in, in my social life, seeing people that maybe were, and maybe this always happens as you get older, but seeing people that were always very firmly to the left and firmly Democrat, that now are actually probably more moderate lean Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a lot of, of a lot to do with the uh, economy. Of course. And it really, it's true. And yes, COVID, that's a perfect point because your life paused basically for two years and you exit yeah. COVID and oh my gosh, I'm in my mid-30s I had this now. young woman reach out to me the other day. I don't know her, but she reached out to me for some, a little mentoring. And I said, sure, of course. And <laughs> I said, how old are you? And she said, I'm 24, but really with COVID, I'm 22. Well, I, And I said, you know what? I say that all the time. I hear you. I say that all the time. <laughs> I lived home with my parents. I had lived here. I was a, a real adult for six years. And then I went home for two years, worked from home, and then came out. And I was 30 years old. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm just 28. 28. I'm right. 28. Well, now I'm 31, so I'm 29. But you know exactly. what? It's fine. We'll just keep Who's celebrating counting? 29 forever. But it's true. Those mm-hmm. are the voters that really are are feeling the pain How engaged right now. are young voters about, uh, with the election? Because I feel like you and I eat, sleep, and breathe all of this data, yes. all this information. And then you see somebody like Johnny Belisario go out um, with Waters World and interview people, and right. nobody even knows who the vice president is. It's really a sh- So I'm it's, just curious, like, how much do people really know? How much are they engaged right now? It depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to young professionals, primarily in finance, I would say, okay. here in New York City, right. if you're talking to young professionals who work in finance, of course, in D.C., everyone eats, breathes, sleeps, mm-hmm. all of this. But here in New York... I think because they're watching the markets and the markets Mm -hmm. are so volatile and it has to do with what's going on in the news and in D.C. and all around the world. They know what they're talking about and they're engaged. But if you don't have to focus on politics, a lot of people still don't. Focusing on life. Because you know what? They're focusing on life. But also, this is crazy. When I was in college and I always wanted to be a political reporter, that was what I went to school for. Everyone who was in my journalism classes, they're like, that's so boring. Why would you do that? What was the first election you covered? Um, Well, I was still a student, but it was 2012. um, And I guess it was the presidential, but I also covered Mm -hmm. the Massachusetts gubernatorial race. I was at Boston University and um, Charlie Baker. So that was really exciting. And I was a a little run around local reporter for all these state Senate races. It was so much fun, but people didn't care about politics. And so if it's not in your face and you don't have to focus on it, even if every single policy decision is negatively impacting your life on both sides of the Mm -hmm. aisle, Turn off the TV. Right. Don't read the news. I've heard that so many times from so many people. My but they'll age. see it on social media. Exactly. That's what I took away exactly. from this. Uh, you did a ton of work for this. Thank you for oh, the research. And of I course. love having you on Perino on politics. Before you go, you have to choose between three uh, trivia okay. ca- categories. 
And I, they're multiple choice. So one oh, is gosh. candidate LinkedIn, presidential potpourri, or presidential pets. Oh, what's your favorite? I think you should go with LinkedIn. Okay, we'll go LinkedIn. Okay. This candidate served as an attorney for the nonprofit Riverkeeper and was named Time Magazine's Hero of the Planet for their work. Was it A, RFK Jr., B, Dean Phillips, or C, Jill Stein? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. You, t- you talked to someone to- from their campaign. RFK. Yes, there you go. <laughs> there you go. RFK Jr. <laughs> there um, you go. His, the film was called The Last Mountain, and it depicted the candidate's fight against mountaintop removal mining oh. in Appalachia. I actually have thoughts about that, but I'm not going to bother anybody about it. So, okay, you know what? Fun fact, I went to nursery school with RFK Jr.'s son, Connor Kennedy, and um, you know what? He did a lot of that... Um, that work, environmental philanthropy, work. environmental mm-hmm. work when I was a baby. So I met him when I was Good. four. Maybe well, I'll see him on the trail. Well, have a wonderful holiday thank and thank you. you for doing this. Thank you, Dana. And Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, Merry everyone. Christmas. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.